Is Taiwan ready for nuclear weapons? Natalie speaks with prominent China expert Gordon Chang on why he thinks Taiwan should be a nuclear power. Then we'll take a look at defense exercises that have been going on in Taiwan this week. Finally, in Hashtag Taiwan, I'll tell you about an earthquake that shook not only the ground, but also the internet. This is Taiwan Insider. This week, five nuclear powers, the U.S., U.K., China, France, and Russia, made a joint statement agreeing to avoid a nuclear war. Today, I speak with a prominent China expert who thinks the U.S. should give Taiwan nuclear weapons. Gordon Zhang, the author of The Coming Collapse of China, tells me why he thinks Taiwan should have nuclear weapons. Well, first of all, I think the Biden administration should make a clear declaration that the United States will defend Taiwan and will offer a mutual defense treaty to Taipei. Now, if the Biden administration is not willing to do that, then I think the United States should help Taiwan develop nukes. And I think that the United States should actually transfer nukes to Taipei. And the reason is that there is it's going to take Taiwan a little bit of time to develop an arsenal. Um, and in that time, it could be very dangerous because China could decide to strike. So I think that the United States needs to eliminate that gap and therefore transfer nuclear weapons. But my preferred solution is that the Biden administration just say, we will defend Taiwan and mean it. So there have been some experts saying that that kind of uh, clarity in uh, U.S. defense policy might provoke a stronger reaction from China, a more aggressive reaction. What do you think of that? Of course, we don't know exactly what China will do, but a clear declaration from the Biden administration, I think, will convince Beijing that force is not an option. And the reason is that China is extremely casualty averse. And it realizes that if the United States were to defend Taiwan, the casualties for Beijing would be horrific. They'd be probably so high that the Communist Party wouldn't survive. Um, so um, we need clarity at this time. Now, of course, we've had this policy of strategic ambiguity for decades, where the United States doesn't tell either side, either Beijing or Taipei, what it would do in the case of imminent conflict. And of course, that policy worked. But that policy was in a benign period, and we're no longer in such a good era. So at this point, we need a clear declaration of what we will do. And if we have that, then we will preserve the peace. But without it, I think Beijing will decide that it could very well um, take an advantage and, and the United States won't defend Taiwan. So do you think that um, the U.S. would come to Taiwan's defense if China attacked Taiwan? That's a great question. Um, I would tend to think the U.S. would, but... Um, there are certain currents in the Biden administration that concern me. And we know that what China will do in the early stages of a conflict is to threaten nuclear war on the United States. And that could very well intimidate American policymakers. So although I tend to think the U.S. would defend Taiwan, um, I think that there's substantial uncertainty. And that substantial uncertainty in the minds of Beijing, I think, would be very provocative. That's why I think we need a clear declaration, because a clear declaration will mean 
that Beijing will decide that it's not worth the cost. Now, you have said that China is actually very weak, or the leadership is weak, but they are projecting a very strong image, a very strong-handed image. Tell us why you think that China is weak. It seems that, you know, if they're casualty adverse, like you say, that that means that they are weak and afraid of public opinion. First of all, they're on the edge of a debt crisis. Um, China has perhaps somewhere between 350 to 400% of debt to GDP, and that clearly is unsustainable. China can't get past its debt crisis because there's just too much debt. But at the same time, they've got a stagnant economy. They've got worsening food shortages. They've got a depleted environment. And they have these accelerated COVID-19 outbreaks that they can't deal with. Um, and in addition to that, China stands on the edge of the steepest projected demographic decline in history in the absence of war or disease. China, um, according to uh, Chinese demographers, um, will lose about half its population in 45 years. So Chinese leaders are facing problems that they have no answers to. The thing that worries me, Natalie, is that they might see a closing window of opportunity, which you get a hint of in Chinese propaganda. And the other thing that's concerned is that I think that because of these problems, Xi Jinping is a lot weaker than he appears from the outside. And he very well may decide to cause military misadventure abroad to try to distract his domestic critics, to try to tamp down domestic discontent. And that means a weak China is more dangerous than a strong one. And we've seen a lot of military activity around Taiwan, um, a lot of Chinese military planes. What do you make of that? China is just trying to intimidate Taiwan into submission. Um, which is really what they've been doing for quite some time. You know, sometimes they use non-military means. Now they're using these provocative flights to Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Um, but it's a real indication that China is on a belligerent path. And although I don't think for certain reasons that China wants to start a war, the point is they're engaging in provocative military activities that could cause an accident. Um, can cause an accident with Taiwan or with the United States or with other countries. And because of that, um, they could start uh, an unintentional conflict that could spiral out of control. So um, this is exceedingly dangerous time. We talk more about how to prevent a war between Taiwan and China in the full interview, which will be up on YouTube and Facebook. Jiayi Air Force Base is part of Taiwan's first line of defense against hostile air intrusions. Earlier this week, we got a look at how fighter pilots there stand ready to intercept would-be attackers during a three-day Spring Festival combat readiness exercise, which started on Wednesday. On display were Taiwan's newly acquired F-16Vs. Pilots scramble to get to their jets and lift off within six minutes of the alarm bell going off. A three-day Spring Festival combat readiness exercise started on Wednesday. The F-16V pilots are practicing quick takeoffs for a reason. On Tuesday alone, the Chinese Air Force sent five sorties into the southwestern part of Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Yan Xiangsheng, serving at the Jiayi Air Base, says that he has intercepted Chinese J-16 fighter jets in the past. Each new encounter is scrutinized during the post-mission debriefing to improve future performance. The Jiayi Air Base is part of Taiwan's first line of defense and all F-16 fighter jets stationed there have been upgraded to the latest V variant. 
Pilots have also been issued helmets equipped with integrated head-up displays. Each one of those helmets costs 12 million Taiwan dollars or 430,000 US dollars. Pilots can see crucial flight data in front of their eyes as they are projected on a helmet-mounted display, further integrating the pilot and the machine. F-16Vs have also demonstrated a taxiing maneuver called the elephant walk, during which planes follow each other closely, tail to nose, resembling elephants on their way to a water source. During the exercise, the pilots show off not only their skill and discipline, but also their dedication to defending Taiwan's airspace against intrusions. Now, you might be thinking there's a lot of focus on Taiwan's Air Force, what with the new F-16Vs and Chinese air incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. But what about Taiwan's ground forces? Well, let me assure you, they're standing ready also because they had a very impressive exercise earlier this week as well. This isn't your average battle simulation. This is the second day of Taiwan's intense, non-stop military exercises that are taking place right before the Lunar New Year. The troops are split into two teams and are engaging in a battle that is meant to be as realistic as possible, testing the military's competence in a high-pressure and unpredictable environment. Soldiers say that these exercises are focused on maneuvering in tightly enclosed areas while keeping an eye on the enemy and being mindful of blind spots. Their battleground ranges from forests to more urban areas. To add to the intensity, these exercises are carried out continuously for four days and three nights, without any breaks in between. Unlike some other simulations, soldiers are completely unaware of what attack might come next from the opponent. Officers are also keeping track of where and how the soldiers are killed in the simulation in an effort to strengthen any weak spots. It's full-out warfare, with the soldiers aware that the more casualties they inflict on the enemy, the easier it will be to get the upper hand. The battle continues to wage on through rain and shine, day and night, ensuring that should a real invasion occur, Taiwan will be ready for even the most extreme situations. Next on Hashtag Taiwan, the earthquake that hit us this week. Happy 2022, everybody. Welcome back to the first Hashtag Taiwan of the year. Now, it seems that every time January 1st rolls around, everybody makes a big deal about the first time they do something in that year. For example, countdown events are about experiencing the very first moments of a new year. People in Taiwan will rush to various landmarks to see the first sunrise of the new year, and it's customary for the president to give an address on the first day of the new year as well. I mean, it's not my first time doing hashtag Taiwan, but there's something that just feels different about this episode being the first one of 2022. Do you know what I'm saying? Earlier this week, there was one 2022 first that people couldn't predict, an earthquake. It happened on Monday at around 5.46 p.m., and boy, did it really shake things up. The earthquake was a magnitude 6.0 off Taiwan's eastern coast, and people all over Taiwan could feel it. Now, when it comes to earthquakes in Taiwan, there is one important rule that everyone must follow. It goes a little something like this. When there's an earthquake, you must post about it on social media. I didn't make the rule, it's just part of living life in Taiwan. But this time around, with how powerful the earthquake was, people started posting some pretty jarring stuff online. There's images of light fixtures shaking, stuff falling off of walls and out of filing cabinets. It was just all really chaotic. It's natural for things hanging from ceilings like light fixtures or signs to shake a little when there's an earthquake. And sometimes I have to look at them to make sure 
there is an earthquake and I'm not just experiencing some random vertigo. But the videos that surfaced in the wake of Monday's earthquake looked like Godzilla was picking up the buildings and shaking them up. Luckily, no one was hurt. A few buildings were damaged, but that was it. Just as a simple reminder, no matter if it's the first, second, third, or fourth of the year, earthquakes are no joke, man. Wanting to document them is fine and all, but make sure you get to a safe place and then you open Instagram. Next up, these are the other stories that are on our radar. Taiwan is setting up a 200 million US dollar fund for investment in Lithuanian industries. That comes as China squeezes Lithuania with retaliatory economic measures due to the opening of a Taiwanese representative office in the Lithuanian capital. Taiwan's representative to Lithuania, Eric Huang, says he expects semiconductors, lasers, and biotechnology to be early focuses of investment. A family court in Kaohsiung has approved an appeal from a same-sex couple to give both spouses parental rights to their child, which one spouse adopted before getting married. The law that legalized same-sex marriage in Taiwan has provisions giving same-sex couples shared parental rights in the case of biological children, but it does not address cases of adoption. Though groundbreaking, the ruling is not considered precedent-setting, meaning that every same-sex couple in Taiwan with adopted children will need to go through the same appeal process to get shared parental rights. At least eight people connected with Taoyuan International Airport have tested positive for COVID-19. Among those who have fallen ill are several airport cleaners who took the same shuttle bus to and from work. The Taoyuan city government joined specially trained soldiers in disinfecting a market visited by one of the COVID patients. 93 other airport cleaners are now in quarantine as a precautionary measure. And we're back in the studio to answer our final question of the week. But before we do so, I have to give you a little bit of context. So there was a shipment of dark rum from Lithuania that was headed to China, but that shipment was denied entry into the country. Now Lithuania was kind of in a pickle because they didn't know what to do with the shipment. And that's when Taiwan Tobacco Liquor Corporation stepped in and said, hey, we'll buy the shipment and you, you bring it to Taiwan. Now my question to my co-host this week is, what would you do if you got your hands on a bottle of Lithuanian dark rum? Uh, Stash Butler, he's in quarantine right now. I asked him this question because I find him to be a rum enthusiast and I think he's got some good ideas. Stash? Well, what I would make using Lithuanian dark rum is a pina colada. Now, I know these things are traditionally made using uh, white rum or kind of lighter colored rum. Um, so if there are any Lithuanian companies out there that are struggling to deliver shipments to China, uh, I hope that a Taiwanese company might step in and we could complete the recipe for me. Oh, Stash, you good old dependable guy. Uh, Natalie, what would you do with a bottle of dark rum? Well, first I would pair it with some Lithuanian chocolate. Oh, that's good. Very delicious. And I would give a toast to my favorite Lithuanian MPs, Dovili Sakliani and Matas Madegas. I think they'll appreciate that very yes. much so. Long live Lithuania and Taiwan friendship. Uh, for me, if you guys look on your screen right now, there's a picture that the National Development Council in Taiwan shared on Instagram. And they give you four recipes that you can uh, use the Lithuanian dark rum for. There's chocolate, there's a uh, rum raisin good. French toast, there's steak, and there's a cocktail for the dark and stormy, which is kind of classic. I, might, I must say I am interested in the steak because that involves marinating the steak in the rum that and then pan good. frying it. Uh, but let us wow. know what you think you would like to do with Lithuanian dark rum. And as always, drink responsibly, guys. And that just about does it for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Leslie Liao. And I am Natalie So. Don't forget to uh, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. 
all the places. Leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you. And we'll see you next time. See you guys.
visit rti at english.rti.org.tw. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Five nuclear powers, the U.S., U.K., France, China, and Russia, signed a joint statement this week to agree to avoid a nuclear war. Now, my guest today believes that the U.S. should help Taiwan develop nuclear weapons. Gordon Zhang is a prominent China expert and the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Gordon, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Natalie. So, I've seen that you propose that the U.S. should help Taiwan develop nuclear weapons. Why is that? Well, first of all, I think the Biden administration should make a clear declaration that the United States will defend Taiwan and will offer a mutual defense treaty to Taipei. Now, if the Biden administration is not willing to do that, then I think the United States should help Taiwan develop nukes. And I think that the United States should actually transfer nukes to Taipei. And the reason is that there is, it's going to take Taiwan a little bit of time to develop an arsenal. Um, and in that time, it could be very dangerous because China could decide to strike. So I think that the United States needs to eliminate that gap and therefore transfer nuclear weapons. But my preferred solution is that the Biden administration just say, we will defend Taiwan and mean it. So there have been some experts saying that that kind of uh, clarity in uh, U.S. defense policy might provoke a stronger reaction from China, a more aggressive reaction. What do you think of that? Um, of course, we don't know exactly what China will do, but a clear declaration from the Biden administration, I think, will take convince Beijing that force is not an option. And the reason is that China is extremely casualty averse. And it realizes that if the United States were to defend Taiwan, the casualties for Beijing would be horrific. They'd be probably so high that the Communist Party wouldn't survive. Um, so um, we need clarity at this time. Now, of course, we've had this policy of strategic ambiguity for decades, where the United States doesn't tell either side, either Beijing or Taipei, what it would do in the case of imminent conflict. And of course, that policy worked. But that policy was in a benign period, and we're no longer in such a good era. So at this point, we need a clear declaration of what we will do. And if we have that, then we will preserve the peace. But without it, I think Beijing will decide that it could very well um, take an advantage and, and the United States won't defend Taiwan. So do you think that the U.S. would come to Taiwan's defense if China attacked Taiwan? That's a great question. Um, I would tend to think the U.S. would, but um, there are certain currents in the Biden administration that concern me. And we know that what China will do in the early stages of a conflict is to threaten nuclear war on the United States. And that could very well intimidate American policymakers. So although I tend to think the U.S. would defend Taiwan, um, I think that there's substantial uncertainty. And that substantial uncertainty in the minds of Beijing, I think, would be very provocative. That's why I think we need a clear declaration, because a clear declaration will mean that Beijing will decide that it's not worth the cost. So you think that's the best way to deter a war? Absolutely. Um, 
We have, uh, as Americans, uh, when we have been unclear about what we're going to do, we have convinced aggressors that they can actually take an advantage. So um, the point is that if we are clear that we will defend Taiwan, then that really means uh, for Beijing that they will not want to start. I'll just give you an example. We go back to 2020, June 15th. China, in a surprise attack, kills 20 Indian soldiers. But China doesn't announce its casualties until February of last year. And then they say there are only four. Now, TASS, the Russian news agency, uh, about three, four months ago, actually came out with a press release and said they basically thought that 45 Chinese soldiers were killed, which is essentially New Delhi's estimate. And that shows that Beijing was is extremely worried about the news of dead Chinese soldiers. So they're more casualty averse than we are. And if they were to invade Taiwan and the U.S. were to defend it, China's casualties would be at least in the hundreds of thousands, if not uh, millions. So I think that um, a clear declaration from the U.S. would deter China. Now, you have said that China is actually very weak, or the leadership is weak, but they are projecting a very strong image, a very strong-handed image. Um, tell us why you think that China is weak. It seems that you know, if they're casualty-inverse, like you say, that that means that they are weak and afraid of public opinion. First of all, they're on the edge of a debt crisis. Um, China has perhaps somewhere between 350 to 400% of debt to GDP, and that clearly is unsustainable. We're seeing it with Evergrande, which by itself has about $305 billion of liabilities. China can't get past its debt crisis because there's just too much debt. But at the same time, they've got a stagnant economy. They've got worsening food shortages. They've got a depleted environment. And they have these accelerated COVID-19 outbreaks that they can't deal with. Um, and in addition to that, China stands on the edge of the steepest projected demographic decline in history in the absence of war or disease. China, um, according to uh, Chinese demographers, um, will lose about half its population in 45 years. By the turn of the century, China could be maybe one-third as populous as it is today. So Chinese leaders are facing uh, problems that they have no answers to. The thing that worries me, Natalie, is that they might see a closing window of opportunity, which you get a hint of in Chinese propaganda. And the other thing that's concerned is that I think that because of these problems, Xi Jinping is a lot weaker than he appears from the outside. And he very well may decide to cause military misadventure abroad to try to distract his domestic critics, to try to tamp down domestic discontent. And that means a weak China is more dangerous than a strong one. You're listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. I'm speaking with prominent author Gordon Zhang, who is an expert on China. He's written two books, The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Next, Zhang tells me what he thinks of Chinese military incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. The sound of the Puyuma tribe 
on Radio Taiwan International. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. Gordon Zhang is a prominent China expert and the author of The Coming Collapse of China. He believes that the U.S. should take a stronger stance in clarifying that it will defend Taiwan. Now, in the past year, China has been sending its military planes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone at an unprecedented rate. I asked Zhang what he thinks of these incursions. China is just trying to intimidate Taiwan into submission. Um, which is really what they've been doing for quite some time. You know, sometimes they use non-military means. Now they're using these provocative flights through Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Um, but it's a real indication that China is on a belligerent path. And although I don't think for certain reasons that China wants to start a war, the point is they're engaging in provocative military activities that could cause an accident. Um, can cause an accident with Taiwan or with the United States or with other countries. And because of that, um, they could start uh, an unintentional conflict that could spiral out of control. So um, this is exceedingly dangerous time. And your suggestion about a U.S. Uh, defense treaty with Taiwan, um, of course, Taiwan would love that. But what do you think the possibilities of the U.S. changing their policy is? Well, the partic- at this point, present moment, um, pretty low. You know, the interesting thing is that Biden wants to defend Taiwan. We saw that from his answers with George Stephanopoulos of ABC News and with Anderson Cooper of CNN. But unfortunately, his administration tried to clean up his comments afterwards and say, oh, there's no change in U.S. policy. Um, So I think there's disarray in the administration. But this is not so much what Americans think. This is more of an issue of what China is pressing the rest of the world to do. China is moving the United States and other countries in directions they don't want to go. So what is considered to be inconceivable now could very well be practical and almost inevitable in the future because of Beijing's actions. And what do you think Taiwan should be doing to help deter a war? Taiwan should be um, putting much more money into its military, and it should be spending its money more wisely. It is buying stuff which I think um, probably is not as, that they don't need as much as other things. They need submarines, for instance. They need small crafts. They need um, hypersonic uh, cruise missiles. They need uh, weapons that will deter China and actually will be useful in a conflict. You know, it's, it's great that they're buying uh, upgraded or upgraded packages for their F-16s, but China's going to destroy every airfield in Taiwan in the first moments of a conflict. So um, I'm not so sure that those planes are going to be usable, um, but submarines certainly would be, and certainly cruise missiles that could hit Shanghai or military targets in um, China certainly would be useful. And what do you think that other countries like the EU, 
um, should be doing to help Taiwan and to help a deterrent attack? Japan has been robust. Um, just um, this week, it's going to sign its reciprocal access agreement with Australia, which is uh, certainly a sign of uh, military uh, partnership. Also, we have seen on the last uh, week uh, these joint exercises with the United States and Japan, uh, and those are obviously meant to um, uh, be used in, uh, to train for a war with China over Taiwan. So um, Taiwan, I think, needs to work with uh, partners in the region. But that's really not so much a Taiwan question because Taiwan, of course, is willing. It's a question of the partners working, you know, deciding that they want to work very closely with um, Taiwan. And, and I think that one thing the United States can do and, and Taiwan can encourage this is to put more American troops into Taiwan. We had that revelation of a couple months ago that U.S. troops have been have been helping to train Taiwan troops. I mean, that was known, but um, the fact that it was disclosed was quite interesting. We just need to put more troops there, like a tripwire. We have 28,500 troops on the Korean Peninsula. Not enough to, to stop a North Korean invasion. But the reason why they are so important is because there's the tripwire that North Korea knows that if it invades South Korea, the United States will get involved. And so we need tripwire American troops in Taiwan as well. Well, um, it's been great talking with you, Gordon. I hope that you can influence U.S. policy. We see more protection for Taiwan. Keep speaking out. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Gordon Zhang, who is a prominent China expert, the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Thank you so much, Natalie. Liao. Do you love Radio Taiwan International's English content and wish it would never end? Well, who said it has to? The fun doesn't have to stop here. Check out our website, or our Facebook, or our YouTube, or our Twitter. Go to en.rti.org.tw for the latest Taiwan news stories. Check out Radio Taiwan International on Facebook to see great pictures of Taiwan. Go to youtube.com slash RTI English to view some of our great features. And when you're done, tell us what you think on Twitter. Our handle is Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. What are you waiting for? I'm here waiting for your message. This is Radio Taiwan International. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm your host, Shirley Lin. Well, New Year's Eve has come and gone, but the thing is that in Taiwan, in Taipei, that is, we always love to watch the Taipei 101 fireworks at Final Countdown. And for that matter, convenience stores in the neighborhood would have to stock up. Do you know how much they have to stock up? Well, 
Tomasz Kaper has the report. Convenience stores in areas popular with New Year's Eve revelers are gearing up for the battle of the year. Their strategy rests on four hot pillars, hot dogs, hot drinks, hot buns and hot microwaved food. The New Year's Eve battlefield is expected to be chilly, so throngs of cold, hungry and possibly tipsy revelers are expected to make short work of hot food items like tea leaf eggs or Japanese odin. They might even wash it down with a late night coffee to keep their morale up. To get their battle lines in order, store operators say they have prepared three times the usual amount of hot food to bolster depleted shelves. Some will even deploy forward command posts dispensing hot coffee and tarts. Stores in Taipei's Xini area, where the biggest New Year's party will happen, are in full battle readiness. Towers of crates in front of their doors are more than just battle trophies. They signify that spoils are to be had inside. In the wee hours of the morning on January 1st, this automatic door might not get a chance to close. Instead, it might just shout its battle cry of ding-dong all night long. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. Talking about Happy 101's uh, year-end fireworks, do you know where is the best place to watch the fireworks show? Maybe you should be prepared for next year's show, so I'm going to give you this report right here. The New Year's Eve Taipei 101 fireworks this year will be the longest ever, lasting six minutes. However, if you're not standing in the right spot, you could end up watching billows of smoke just a few seconds into an otherwise spectacular fireworks show. This reporter tells us that we just have to find somewhere upwind from where the fireworks are blasting off. There happens to be an easterly wind this New Year's Eve. This will make Elephant Mountain to the east of Taipei 101 one of the best viewing spots this year. Some people have already gone to the mountain to claim a spot. Even people from out of town are there to watch the spectacle. This woman said she is from Taizong. She said it's her first time spending New Year's Eve in Taipei. This man said he chose the spot because he saw people posting pictures of previous fireworks displays from the same spot online. Other great spots would be somewhere where there's open space, like Taipei's four riverside parks. Nothing will block your line of sight, and as an added bonus, you can maintain proper social distancing there. With COVID restrictions still in place, international travel was just impossible. So that made a lot of people kind of do travel uh, domestically during the new year-long weekend. Here's again another report by Tomasz Kaper. Plum branches heavy with fresh blossoms make the hills around Taidong look like they're covered in snow. Tens of thousands of delicate plum blossoms fill the air in orchards with a stunning fragrance. The blossoms opened early this year, despite the cold weather, a week and a half earlier than usual to be exact, according to one local farm owner. The plum blossom season as a whole has come early this year, with around half of the flowers already in bloom. However, Taidong has more to offer New Year weekend visitors than just blossom-covered hills. There are also stunning ocean vistas. A local expert says that this is the most beautiful stretch of road in Taiwan. Visitors can admire views of all the beautiful colors of the ocean. But be sure to leave some space on your camera's memory card for Huayuan Bay. Our expert says this beautiful spot is a favorite among photography enthusiasts. With stunning views of the ocean and mountains as well as the sky above them, this place has become a hotspot for photos and social media check-ins. Definitely something to consider the next time you plan a vacation. Tomasz Koper, RTI News.
We have yet another report by Tomasz Kapera, and this is talking about solar-powered ship. So a team from Switzerland has um, you know, made port in Kaohsiung with the special ship. I mean, anything to make the world more green, right? The Swiss experimental ship MS Parima has arrived at Kaohsiung Harbor from Osaka, Japan. The ship is part of the Team Expo 2025 co-creation challenge. Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Mai says that the ship embodies the concepts of green energy and sustainability and has become a spokesperson for the oceans. MS Parima is the largest experimental ship powered by solar energy in the world. The 36-meter-long vessel incorporates a range of new technologies besides solar cells. It also generates power from the wind and hydrogen. It aims to share the wonders of the oceans with coastal communities during its journeys. Mayor Ten says that new technologies tested on the vessel can help countries reach their net-zero emission goals. MS Parima is named after the ancient Roman goddess of the future and a patron of pregnant women. Its operators hope that the spirit of Parima will protect the Earth's future generations. The co-founder and honorary chairman of Acer, Stan Shu, says he hopes the experiments carried out by the vessel will prove useful. MS Parima's current expedition, called the Blue Odyssey, began on December 18th in Osaka, Japan. The next destination after Kaohsiung will be Dubai, but the ship will continue visiting international ports along the shores of three of the world's oceans, the Pacific, the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean, highlighting issues of ocean conservation. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei, the people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. You're listening to News Playlist, where we bring you some reports from around Taiwan in the past week. And here's uh, talking about the recent local COVID cases at Taiwan Airport. And that is getting authorities worried. I mean, I'm worried too. So, But I know that we do have a good hold on regulations and everything and, you know, keeping the virus at bay. But here's Emma Benek with the report. These troops have a long day ahead of them. After a woman who works as a cleaner at Taoyuan Airport tested positive for COVID-19 on Monday, they were called in to disinfect the whole site. The woman who tested positive is in her 40s and cleans the airport parking lot. On December 28th, she took a mandatory test, which came back negative. On December 30th and 31st, she worked at a stall in Taoyuan's Zhongzhen Market. On January 2nd, she started to exhibit symptoms of the virus and tested positive for COVID-19 the next day. This was a breakthrough case, as the worker had already received two doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. The woman's positive test also includes a CT value that indicates a high potential for infecting others. Taoyuan Airport President Jerry Dan says that due to the woman's position and work area, she would not have come in contact with passengers. Despite her limited work area, workers are still sanitizing the whole airport. Mass testing is underway and authorities have already discovered three more cases. Dan says that whenever there is a COVID case at the airport, health officials always conduct an immediate and thorough investigation. With the upcoming Lunar New Year expected to bring floods of Taiwanese returning home, authorities are sparing no effort to prevent a wider outbreak. Emma Banak, RTI News. Next, Leslie Liao has a report on just how Taman got uh, local cases of the Omicron variant. 
An analysis was made by authorities. Right now, Taiwan's borders are closed off to visitors. Only certain groups are allowed entry into the country. Upon landing, however, everyone must submit themselves to quarantine at either a government facility or an approved hotel. On Monday, health authorities decided that two people confirmed with the Omicron variant of COVID did not bring the virus into the country. Instead, genomic sequencing showed that they were infected in Taiwan by a third person while staying at a quarantine hotel. The question now is, where did this quarantine hotel falter? Authorities are looking into ventilation systems at the facility to see if there was airborne cross-contamination. There's also a possibility that hotel staff failed to abide by proper sanitation procedures. Taiwan's cabinet has ordered health authorities to work with local governments to ensure that prevention measures at quarantine hotels are up to par. With the Omicron variant spreading rapidly across the globe, it's more important than ever that Taiwan's defenses against the pandemic hold. Leslie Liao, RTI News. Drills, 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 with the Chinese Air Force um, kind of ramping up pressure on Taiwan with frequent intrusions in, uh, into uh, Taiwan's ADIZ zone, uh, we are actually undergoing quite a few different, um, you know, drills, military drills. Like there was one for three days um, in Jiayi. Tomasz Kapera has that report. Pilots scramble to get to their jets and lift off within six minutes of the alarm bell going off. A three-day spring festival combat readiness exercise started on Wednesday. The F-16V pilots are practicing quick takeoffs for a reason. On Tuesday alone, the Chinese Air Force sent five sorties into the southwestern part of Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Yan Xiangsheng, serving at the Jiayi Air Base, says that he has intercepted Chinese J-16 fighter jets in the past. Each new encounter is scrutinized during the post-mission debriefing to improve future performance. The Jiayi Air Base is part of Taiwan's first line of defense and all F-16 fighter jets stationed there have been upgraded to the latest V variant. Pilots have also been issued helmets equipped with integrated head-up displays. Each one of those helmets costs 12 million Taiwan dollars or 430,000 US dollars. Pilots can see crucial flight data in front of their eyes as they are projected on a helmet-mounted display, further integrating the pilot and the machine. F-16Vs have also demonstrated a taxiing maneuver called the elephant walk, during which planes follow each other closely, tail to nose, resembling elephants on their way to a water source. During the exercise, the pilots show off not only their skill and discipline, but also their dedication to defending Taiwan's airspace against intrusions. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. Taiwan has quite a few of these military villages uh, that once um, housed the Chinese nationalist forces and their families. But over time, people have uh, vacated these villages and many were left, uh, you know, just abandoned. So one person thought of how to save her childhood home. Leslie Liao has this report. Taiwan military villages are relics from a bygone era. Originally, they were provisional housing complexes for soldiers who retreated to Taiwan with the Chinese nationalists in 1949. They're places teeming with history, but most have fallen into disrepair. Those who grew up in military villages are now looking into ways to preserve their homes. Lu Xiang is one of these people. Here she shows us where she did her homework as a child. Lu grew up in Jianguo Military Village in central Taiwan's Huwei Township. The land this military village occupies was an airfield during World War II. Afterwards, it was converted into the biggest military village in Taiwan. As time passed, people moved out of the village, leaving it at the mercy of the elements. 
Lu wants to preserve Jianguo Village, fearing that if she doesn't, those who grew up in military villages may forget their roots. Other military villages across Taiwan have been preserved and successfully repurposed. Lu hopes her home village can share the same good fortune. She's applied to have Jianguo Village recognized as a cultural landmark. For Lu, these dilapidated buildings represent much more than history. For her, it's home. Leslie Liao, RTI News. Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you'd like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International. And you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. And if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI to go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI to go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into 6100 kilohertz from 1600 to 1700 UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kilohertz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International.